The scripture this morning comes from John chapter 20. I'm reading verse 1 to 10. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, go to John and then chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. The church here and church who are watching online. Um, it's, uh, it's good to hear God's word and to study God's word. Um, and the best part of all is to hear the Lord speaking to us through his word. Um, when I first discovered that this is the passage for today, I uh, scratched my head and said, is this date right? <laughs> it's Easter. Is this, is this September? Um, and then I realized that, and I remembered something that Joe had said just a few weeks ago, and that is that every, every Sunday that we gather together is in fact a little Easter. It's an opportunity to rejoice and, and tell the world, share the good news of the gospel, that we serve a living Lord. And so with that thought, uh, let's turn to him right now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive, that you have conquered death. And we thank you that because you live, we can live also. Father, this morning, open your word to us through your son, Jesus. Wash us clean. Send your Holy Spirit upon us. And Lord, set us on fire with love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture reading from the first 10 verses of John chapter 20 tell us about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the, the heart and the center the very core of our faith. And yet, over the centuries, people have had a hard time accepting this belief. 
that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. We all know what happens to a dead body. It decays and it decomposes ashes to ashes and dust to dust. A bodily resurrection is outside of our experience. And so over the, over the years, people have taken the bodily resurrection of Jesus and they've tried to water it down. They've tried to explain it away. Right from the very beginning, people said that the body of Jesus was stolen. Others have said that his body was just resuscitated. It wasn't really dead. It was just resuscitated. Or that the resurrection of Jesus is just another way of speaking about the immortality of the soul. But no, that's not what the Bible tells us. We know from the Bible that some folks in the early church, the church at Corinth, they didn't think it mattered all that much whether, whether or not Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. But Paul, Paul wrote a letter to those people in the church at Corinth, and part of what he said to them, what he said in a, in a, in a very blunt way was, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. He went on and he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Well, I'm wondering this morning, what would Paul say about your resurrection faith and mine? Is your faith in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ solid and strong, or is it wobbly and weak? When our resurrection faith is weak and wobbly, you know what happens? Our trust in Jesus and his word also becomes wobbly and weak. It's so easy for us as Christians to fall into the trap of understanding faith in the same way that the world does. Most of the time, the world sees faith as something personal, subjective, and private. You have your faith, I have mine. People say that all the time. It sounds so nice, so tolerant. One person has their faith in Jesus, another person puts their faith in Buddha, another person has faith in the power of crystals, or someone else has faith in tarot cards. You have your faith, and I have my faith. How often do we hear that? The world tells us that one faith is as good as the next. And there's no way, no way, the world says, no way that anyone can judge between them. People say, oh, well, you have your truth, and I have my truth. It reduces truth to something that is subjective, implying that there's no objective truth. That's not 
That's not what Jesus said, friends. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Without even realizing it, we can very easily slip into the world's way of thinking, turning the resurrection of Jesus into simply a subjective experience. There's more to Easter than that. There's much more to Easter than that. You know, there is an old Easter song that many of us love, and its chorus says this. It says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Those words speak of a personal encounter with Jesus, the risen Lord. And those of us who have had those encounters with him, we treasure them. We pray for more. But we have to be very careful here. We have to be careful. Because there is this experience of encountering Jesus. Yes, that's true. And how wonderful it is as Jesus confirms for us individually that he is indeed alive. He confirms this to his followers just as he promised by sending his Holy Spirit to us. But, but, what happened on that very first Easter was more than simply a subjective spiritual experience. Christ's resurrection was not just a spiritual resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. It's based on an historical reality. It's based on objective facts. And that's what today's scripture reading is really all about. These first 10 verses from John chapter 20 give us evidence of a resurrection faith that happened. Now, I want you to notice this. Notice this. A resurrection faith that happened even before Jesus, the risen Lord, met anyone. Even before Jesus, the risen Lord, met anyone. Peter and John came to a resurrection faith even before they met Jesus, risen from the dead. Today's reading begins. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This account of the resurrection begins with Mary. Now, that may not seem very startling to you or to me today, but 2,000 years ago, when this account was written, this was shocking. In those days, the testimony of women was always questioned. The testimony of, of a woman at a trial was not considered equal to that of a man. And so, so if... if 
someone were going to make up a a resurrection story that they wanted people to believe. They certainly never, ever would have begun it with a woman as the first witness. So why does this account mention Mary at the very beginning as the first witness to the empty tomb? Why? Because it's a factual telling of history. It's the truth. Right from the get-go, you see, there's a historical honesty in this account. And so Mary, upon seeing that stone rolled away from the tomb, no doubt, at the very beginning, assumed that some grave robbers had stolen the body of Jesus. Thieves who robbed graves were common back then. And Mary, well, she must have panicked. She must have panicked at what she saw. Imagine three days after the funeral of a good friend of yours, you go back to the gravesite and you discover that the stone has been, the gravestone has been pushed down and you see mounds of earth where someone has tried to be doing some digging. What would you do? Well, you've got to get some help, I would guess. And that's exactly what Mary did. She ran, she ran to get Jesus' disciples, Peter and John. And she went, as she went there, she called out to them. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where, we don't know where they've laid them. So Peter and John went to see for themselves. Their adrenaline must have been pumping as they raced to that tomb. And and John, being younger than Peter, made it to the tomb first. John peered into the tomb and he noticed he noticed the linen cloths that had been wrapped around the body of Jesus. And they were lying there. That was strange. They you see linen was an expensive cloth in those days. Linen would surely have been stolen by any robbers who had, who had tried to rob the grave. And the spices, the spices in which those linen cloths were, were, were placed for embalming purposes, those were, those, ex, those were expensive spices. They would have cost even more than the linen cloth. Robbers would have taken those things. Then Peter suddenly arrived at the tomb. He charged right in in his typical impulsive way. And the Bible tells us he, that is Peter, saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. These details are significant. It cannot have been robbers who took Jesus' body. Not only were the expensive linen and the spices still there, but notice the emphasis in this reading on the position of the grave clothes. Because you see, the position of those grave clothes indicated something else. They were not just scattered and strewn about inside that tomb. 
but they were all together in one place with a head bandage neatly folded in another spot. How different, how different this was from Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? Lazarus was, was the man, the friend of Jesus, who Jesus raised from the dead. He came out of the tomb, and when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was wrapped in his grave clothes, and his face was covered with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. But Jesus, you see, he didn't need any unbinding. He didn't have to be unbound in order to be let go. Biblical scholar D.A. Carson wrote this. He said, Jesus' resurrection body apparently passed through his grave clothes, spices and all. Another scholar said it was not a dead corpse returning to physical life. Something happened to the body of Jesus, giving it new and marvelous powers. The body emerged from the grave clothes without disturbing them, leaving them intact. The grave clothes, another writer put it, were like a chrysalis out of which the risen body of the Lord emerged. Do you see? It was not the empty tomb that aroused faith. It was the linen clothes. Now, keep in mind for just a moment, keep in mind that neither Mary nor Peter nor John, they never expected that the Messiah would ever be crucified. And they never, thought that, they never thought that once he was crucified, that he, would ever be, he ever would be raised from the dead. That was just outside their thinking. And even though there are many passages in the Hebrew scriptures, which we call the Old Testament, that had pointed to the Messiah's death and resurrection, and even though Jesus himself had told his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem, he would suffer and die and be raised on the third day, third day, even though Jesus told his disciples that, they just didn't comprehend it. They may have heard the words, but they just didn't take them in. As it turned out, Mary never went inside the tomb. But what Peter and John saw in that tomb these linen cloths, those undisturbed linen cloths, must have boggled their minds. What was going through their minds? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that when John saw those linen cloths, he began to believe. He began to believe. Verse 8 tells us he saw and he believed. It was the beginning, you see, the very beginning of a resurrection faith, a recognition that Jesus somehow, some way, had risen bodily from the dead. What about you? Do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? And what does it matter? 
Well, Paul, he wrote in that same letter that I mentioned earlier, that letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote this in the same letter that I mentioned earlier. He said, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. In other words, our ultimate hope after we die is not just the immortality of our souls, not just a foggy kind of spiritual existence of some kind, but for those who belong to Jesus, there is a bodily resurrection just like our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see? Jesus' bodily resurrection means that eventually all those in whom he lives will also have their bodies resurrected. No longer a physical body, but now a spiritual body. That is our blessed hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, perhaps you're wondering, how can I believe in such a thing? How, how can I get my head around this? Unlike Peter and John, I'll never enter into that tomb and see those linen cloths. Maybe you're having a hard time understanding Jesus' resurrection body, let alone imagining your own resurrection body. Maybe, maybe you just happen to have more questions than answers. And if that's the case, then I want to tell you this morning you're in very good company. Because if you noticed how today's reading ends, it ends in a, in a very surprising way. Peter and John did not walk out of the tomb shouting, Christ is risen. No, that came later. That came later. Today's reading ends as it began with historical honesty. It appears that as Peter and John left the tomb, they were at such a loss for words that they didn't even bother to tell Mary what they had just seen inside. She remained outside crying. And there was no quick an immediate celebration right then and there. Today's scripture reading ends with these words. They did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That's how it ends. <laughs> then the disciples went back to their homes. What a way to end today's reading. You see, what they had witnessed at the tomb was so seemingly impossible that they must have been dumbfounded. They could barely take it in. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have it all figured out. Confused, yes. Perplexed, no doubt. But in the midst of it all, I want you to notice something. In the midst of it all, they had the tiniest seed of belief. The tiniest seed 
of resurrection faith. It had taken root in them. It started to grow in them as they had seen those linen clothes. And their, their tiny resurrection faith grew. It grew as they later met Jesus, their risen Lord. Peter and John had what D.A. Carson calls a fledgling faith. You know what a fledgling is? It's one of those little birds just learning to fly. A little bird still in the nest learning to fly. Uncertain and unsure and perhaps even a little bit scared. But with time, with time, Jesus himself, risen from the dead, met them and encouraged their fledgling faith, reassuring them with his presence, empowering them with his Holy Spirit, and enabling them to proclaim the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. We don't have the linen clothes to examine, but we do have the historic record of God's word. And as we've seen in today's reading, this account of Jesus' resurrection is not a tall tale. It's an historically honest testimony of what happened on that first Easter. How could this be, we ask ourselves? How could such a thing possibly happen? How could Jesus escape those linen clothes in which he was wrapped with all their spices. N.T. Wright is one of the, is a Bible scholar. And I came across something that he, he, he said this as I was putting this together, and I wanted to share it with you. He pointed out that believing in the resurrection is no more difficult, he said, than believing in science. Think about that for a moment. Believing in the resurrection, no more difficult than believing in science. Wright says, scientists now regularly ask us to believe things which seem strange and, illo and illogical, not least in the areas of astrophysics and quantum mechanics. For instance, quantum theory predicts that a particle may be found in many places, get this, all at the same time. Or, this is even more interesting, a particle may be able, is able to tunnel through walls. Imagine that, a particle that can pass through walls. These scientists tell us that what we see and feel as solid objects, like this pulpit, are mostly empty space. Wright goes on to say, sometimes to make sense of the evidence before us, we have to pull our sense of what is possible into a new shape. That's, he says, that's the kind of thing demanded by the evidence of Easter. The evidence for the res resurrection makes us rethink 
what is possible. The resurrection faith of Peter and John started as a tiny little fledgling faith. Yet Jesus said, if you have faith the size of even a mustard seed, nothing, absolutely nothing will be impossible for you. See, it's not necessary to have great faith, as someone pointed out, because even small faith is enough as long as it's faith in a great God. The Lord himself takes our tiny little bit of faith in him, and as we act upon it, as we trust him, he grows it. That's what happened with Peter and John. And that very same thing can happen with us. So take the tiniest little bit of faith that you have in our great God, the God who came in Jesus defeating sin and death. Take that tiny seed of faith that you have in Jesus and trust him. Trust and obey, as the old song puts it. Step out in obedience with faith in him, even when you're surrounded by mountains of uncertainty and tons of doubts. Step out in faith. Step out with whatever little bit of resurrection faith that you have. Step out even when you're shaking like a leaf. Step out in trust of Jesus Christ. And you will not be disappointed. Step out in, in obedience to your faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how small it may be, and he will grow your resurrection faith, enabling you, enabling you to join with Christians throughout the ages in a cry that comes from the heart. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you are indeed alive, risen from the dead. We rejoice that because you live, we shall live also through you and in you. We thank you, Lord, that even now you put your resurrection life into us as we give our hearts and lives to you. And we pray that, Lord, that you would do that with us today. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us with your resurrection life so that we may then know that from now and all to all eternity, we belong to you. We are yours. And that you are alive. And that we can share that good news with a world that so desperately needs to hear. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. And to you be glory forevermore. Amen.